Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening, everyone. And indeed, we begin the readout tonight with breaking news from Capitol Hill. Within the next hour, the United States House of Representatives will likely vote to refer Donald Trump's former chief of staff, who also happens to be a former colleague as a Republican member of Congress, for charges of criminal contempt. Now, if they vote to move forward with contempt, and if the Justice Department follows through with charges, Mark Meadows would become the first former chief of staff to face prosecution since H.R. Haldeman of the Nixon administration. Now, the problem for Meadows in this contempt proceeding is that he snitched on his team before he clammed up. He has turned over roughly 9,000 pages of documents that he himself claimed were not privileged. But he's now refusing to answer questions about those very documents in defiance of a congressional subpoena. Here's how Chairman Benny Thompson put it just before the vote. When you produce records, you are expected to come in and answer questions about those records. And because not even Mr. Meadows was asserting any privileged claim over these records, there's no possible justification for wholesale refusing to answer questions about them. If you're making excuses to avoid cooperating with our investigation, you're making excuses to hide the truth from the American people about what happened on January 6th. You're making excuses as part of a cover-up. In other words, it is kind of open and shut. We've also heard new evidence today. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren revealed that Meadows was receiving texts from an official in Georgia during Trump's infamous call with Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, telling Meadows to, quote, end this call. I don't think this will be productive much longer. Congressman Adam Schiff revealed that an unidentified person texted texted Meadows with knowledge of Trump's plan to install an attorney general who would be receptive to amplifying his false claims of election fraud. And Congresswoman Elaine Luria revealed that Meadows was receiving encrypted messages from a member of Congress. This comes after the committee revealed other damning messages that Meadows received in real time as the insurrection was unfolding at the Capitol. Trump's own administration officials, as well as lawmakers on Capitol Hill and others, unambiguously demanded that Meadows tell Trump to take action to stop the the siege. To quote just a few, POTUS needs to calm this expletive down. We are all helpless. Fix this now. Tell them to go home. And Congresswoman Liz Cheney read more texts into the record this morning from Republican members of Congress. Here are a few others from Republican members. Quote, it is really bad up here on the Hill. Another one, the president needs to stop this ASAP. Another one, fix this now. But we know hours passed with no action by the president to defend the Congress of the United States from an assault while we were trying to count electoral votes. 
She might as well have added, tell Trump it was me who got him. I mean, the, the text from those Republicans made it clear that they believed that Trump and only Trump was capable of calling off the mob, which means that they knew that he was responsible for what was happening. Trump even ignored the pleas from his own namesake son, who texted Meadows, and weirdly, not his dad, to demand that his father show some leadership. He has to lead now, Donald Trump Jr. said. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. But last but not least, Trump also ignored pleas for action from his right-wing allies at Fox News, including Laura Ingraham, Brian Kilmeade, and Sean Hannity, which we'll be discussing later in the show. I should also note that per Mother Jones, Meadows mentioned none of those dramatic texts in his account of the siege in his new book, which was published last week. Now, despite the urgency of those messages, Trump wouldn't lift a finger. He allowed the siege to unfold for 187 minutes in dereliction of his duty under the Constitution. Meanwhile, two organizers of the rally at the Ellipse are poised to expose the members of Congress who participated in the insurrection. That is according to Rolling Stone, which reports that Dustin Stockton and Jennifer Lawrence will deliver testimony and turn over documents, including text messages that indicate the extensive involvement members of Congress and the Trump administration had in planning the House challenge to certify Biden's election. Joining me now is Congressman Adam Schiff of California. He's a member of the House Select Committee on the January 6th attack and the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Thank you so much for being here, Congressman. I want to start with where I ended um, just there in the open. Two more people are poised to come forward, hand over documents and evidence specifically about members of Congress and about members of the administration who participated. At what point? Uh, Chairman Thompson did say that eventually um, there will be a public release of who these members are. In your view, do not the constituents of these members have a right to know that their member of Congress was involved in an attempted coup? Yes, they do. And, and what's more, I think the whole country has a right to know what members of Congress were doing uh, and what role they played in a violent attack on our Capitol. Uh, we're trying to balance that need and that desire uh, for the public to know uh, with the investigative needs of, at this moment. And that is, we don't want witnesses to be able to benefit from public information uh, and use, use it to shade their testimony or use it to conceal things because uh, they know the length and breadth of what the committee possesses. So there will be a right time uh, to make this public. And indeed, we're going to be early in the new year going to public hearings, which we've held back on for exactly the same reason. But uh, yes, I think they do have the right to know and they will they will find out. You, you um, revealed that an unidentified person texted Mark Meadows, who was chief of staff to the president at the time, uh, with knowledge of Trump's plan to install basically an attorney general who would do his bidding and attempt to undermine the election. Can you tell us who that person was? Uh, I can't tell you who that person was, uh, but with respect to some of these messages, uh, we may not know who these people are. It's one of the reasons why we want Meadows to come in. Uh, some of these messages might from, come from numbers that we have not yet identified. Uh, and so, but that particular message is, I think, very notable because here you had uh, Jeffrey Clark reportedly involved in efforts to get Georgia to withhold appointing a slate of electors or to appoint an alternate one, using the imprimatur of the Department of Justice for these things, trying to get the leadership to make statements about non-existent massive fraud uh, and, uh, and angling for the top job. And apparently this person texting the chief of staff thought he got the top job and was going to be named on Monday. 
This is, I'm glad you mentioned Georgia, because Congresswoman, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren uh, testifying the idea that you had, that you had the former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, actually on the phone during some of these, this call in Georgia, which is the subject of a criminal proceeding. Do, do, at this point, should Mark Meadows be concerned that he may face criminal liability the same way that Trump potentially faces criminal liability for what was done in Georgia? Well, I don't want to comment on whether Meadows might face uh, criminal liability. Uh, we already have witnesses who are asserting their Fifth Amendment uh, right because they believe their testimony might incriminate them. Uh, they and their counsel uh, have to make those determinations. Uh, but, but I do think that uh, not only the Fulton County DA, but frankly, the Justice Department ought to be investigating uh, the efforts of the former president and people around him uh, to uh, essentially find 11,780 votes that don't exist, to find just the number of votes that would put him over the top and beat Joe Biden when those votes did not exist. I think if you or I or any of our view, your viewers uh, were, were in a recorded conversation like that one, we would be under investigation. Are we about to see multiple members of Congress potentially facing contempt charges or pleading the fifth in what seems to be pretty vast um, conspiracy, for lack of a better word, among Trump supporters inside of the Congress, some inside of his staff, perhaps some inside of the Justice Department to try to overturn a lawful election? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you that in other investigations, in fact, in the Russia investigation, uh, we had a Democratic member of Congress come testify. We had a Republican member of Congress uh, asked and, and come testify. There was certainly precedent for members to do that. Uh, those members did so voluntarily. I would hope that those who have relevant testimony here would do the same. If they don't, uh, then we'll have to make those decisions at that point. You know, it's, it's been sort of fascinating to watch the kind of news that is coming out, not just the Rolling Stone piece, but this news that members, uh, people who lived in the villages, which is a very Republican part of Florida, um, also now have been charged with actual voter fraud. We're actually seeing that there was attempted voter fraud, but it just seems to keep falling on the side, uh, Donald Trump's side of the, of the ledger. What do you make of the fact that these attempts to sort of throw off this entire election as fraudulent and really detailed. These memos were detailed. This PowerPoint was detailed when, in fact, the actual fraud was taking place among Republicans. Well, and we've seen this uh, time and time again. And you probably remember, I think, in North Carolina a few years ago, a, a uh, massive uh, uh, absentee uh, scandal uh, where uh, people were picking up ballots and not returning them. Um, and, uh, and that was all on the GOP side. Uh, but what I find also so striking about this is they failed with this effort to essentially concoct fraud where it didn't exist before. But they seem to be putting in place the apparatus for 2024 uh, where they can overturn the election, where they can succeed where they failed in 2020, uh, even uh, in the absence of any fraud. And that, to me, uh, is among the most chilling things that they're doing right now. Uh, even Mitch McConnell has se seemed to express some interest in knowing the identities of lawmakers who may have been involved in this conspiracy. Are you concerned that if Republicans are able to take over in the House of Representatives and squash the evidence of this and end and uh, disband this committee, which seems to be their goal to just wait it out and try to disband this committee, that actual crimes will be covered up? 
Well, first of all, we're going to do everything we can uh, among the Democratic Party to make sure that we hold on to the House, because, frankly, if Kevin McCarthy were to become Speaker, he would overturn the next election, just as he tried the last one. Uh, but in terms of would they try to bring it into the investigation, without a doubt, uh, would that mean that certain things were not uncovered? We are going to be moving with uh, all the expedition we can. We already are to make sure that we get out all the facts uh, as soon as possible, really to protect the public, to help us legislate in ways to protect the country. So we're doing that anyway. But uh, but yes, if there's further information to be gleaned that we haven't uh, finished accumulating by the end of next year uh, and they should take over the Congress, um, there's nothing they would like more than to cover up anything that may be learned. And I will just remind folks that after the insurrection took place, this is what Kevin McCarthy said. He said the president bears responsibility for Wednesday uh, in, on Congress by, uh, for an attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw it was unfolding. These facts require immediate action on President Trump. Uh, there seemed to have been a lot of agreement among Republicans, at least at that time, including on that day. Odd that they changed their minds afterwards. Um, Congressman Adam Schiff, thank you very much. We always appreciate you being here. All right, we will continue to keep an eye on the House floor, where we expect any moment a vote on criminal contempt charges for Mark Meadows. But up next, the stunning hypocrisy of Fox News hosts revealed by private text messages obtained by the January 6th Select Committee. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Plus, the growing groundswell of activism in support of voting rights. Joe Madison joins us on day 37 of his hunger strike. We'll also get a live report on rescue and recovery efforts in the wake of this weekend's deadly tornadoes. And later, are you not entertained? Tonight's absolute worst is a feel-good story that doesn't actually feel good. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. So it goes without saying that for Trump's time in office, and with few exceptions, Fox News, and particularly a number of their on-air hosts, acted as his unofficial advisors, and time and again tried to play defense for the orange autocrat president. Case in point, their efforts to downplay January 6th as no big deal and full of perpetrators that were anything but Trump supporters. But now the January 6th committee has shined a bright scathing light on their hypocrisy by sharing what these TV personalities were texting Trump's chief of staff as the Capitol was under attack. Now, it may come as no surprise to learn that it did not quite match what they were saying to their audiences that very night. 
Listen to what Laura Ingraham texted. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. And yet, here is how she portrayed the Capitol siege mere hours later. Now, there were likely not all Trump supporters, and there are some reports that Antifa sympathizers may have been sprinkled throughout the crowd. I have never seen Trump rally attendees wearing helmets, black helmets, brown helmets, black backpacks, the uniforms that you saw in some of these crowd shots. They don't wear black. Brian Kilmeade made this plea. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. Ah, but then the morning news anchor made a late night appearance on Fox to say this. I do not know Trump supporters that have ever demonstrated violence that I know of in a big situation. Uh huh. And even Sean Hannity, the primetime host, whose former executive producer literally went into the White House as Trump's communications director for a time, felt the need to reach out to Meadows. Quote, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. But of course, on his show, he downplayed the actions of those very same Trump supporters. Like all Americans, we watched this small group of people that was pretty big, but compared to the overall crowd, um, it was not the majority of people. The vast majority in Washington, D.C. today were peaceful. No matter how they try to downplay or blame Antifa or, or the left or provocateurs or whatever, their texts tell the truth. Only Donald Trump could call off the insurrectionists because they were his insurrectionists. He is the one who called on those gullible, thugged out MAGA fans to bring the fight to the Capitol that day to try to overthrow a legitimate election period, with a T. Join me now, Ellie Mastal, Justice Correspondent for The Nation and New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg. And Ellie, I have to start with you because it really actually doesn't surprise me that what a lot of the folks on Fox are doing is acting, right? It, it, it's thespians. They're out there saying, we're with you, MAGA crowd. But behind the scenes, they were saying, oh my God, please make it stop. Your thoughts. Yeah, look, the Fox hosts are lying liars who lie. That's that's what they do. And they lied about this. They've lied about other things. And when you haul them into court and sue them for defamation about their lies, they will say in court, no reasonable person takes my show seriously. That was the Tucker Carlson literal legal argument. No reasonable person takes myself my show seriously. And so and that worked, by the way, that was a fine legal argument. It got him out of um, of some legal hot water. So we know what they are. They know what what they are. Like everybody is in on the joke, except for the gullible white supremacist viewers of Fox News. And that's where we have the problem, right? Like, look, I admit, it's hard for me to talk about because as a black man, I don't got family that watch that channel, right? I don't have family that, like, you know, buys into the white supremacist rhetoric that that channel puts out. But a lot of y'all white people do. You got a cousin, you got an uncle, you got somebody out there who is watching that trash. And you think, you as the reasonable person, think like, oh, it's their fault. They're, they took my daddy. They took my grandpappy. We've, it's, it's Laura Ingram. It's not their fault. It's not Fox News' fault. Your 
family members are watching that because that is what they believe. Your family members are watching that because it fits the narrative that your family members have. And that's where you have to break the chain. These Fox News hosts, as you said, Joy, they understand that they are entertainers. They are telling the people what they want to hear. We have to work on why the people want to hear it. Well, it's a good point, Michelle, because here's the challenge. I mean, they today, those who've been sort of paying attention to how they covered the Mark Meadows saga found that they didn't cover it. I mean, Mark Meadows literally (laughs) went on with Hannity and they didn't talk about his or Hannity's interactions with each other. They were interacting that day with Hannity saying, oh, my God, make this stop. And he was an advisor to Donald Trump, wanted it to stop. They didn't even discuss it. Fox News ignored this story today. And here's the problem. They can ignore it because their people only watch Fox. They don't go outside of the bubble. They're never going to look over here. They're only going to watch that. And they will come out of this really dramatic day when the former chief of staff to the president of the United States goes down the the Haldeman route. And they won't even know about it. Your thoughts. Well, my understanding is that some of these hosts are going to address this show on Fox to, or address these comments on Fox tonight. But I think that you and Eli are exactly right about Fox's contempt for their audience and their kind of unwillingness to break character. And to me, part of the evidence for that is that if you're a Fox News host and you want to reach Donald Trump, the way to do it is not to go through Mark Meadows. Right. We saw so many news stories over the course of the Trump administration about how the only way people in his own administration administration could get a hold, get through to him was to go on Fox News. So if they were really worried about the Capitol, if they were really worried about, you know, democracy and they really wanted to say to Trump, call off your thugs, they could have said it on TV where he would listen. Right. But they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to let their audience in on what was happening. So instead, they used this much less effective back channel. And here's what's sad. You know who does have to go through Mark Meadows to talk to Donald Trump? Oh, God. Don Jr. He don't love you, Don Jr. I mean, he don't, you, you can't even call. You can't even text your own daddy. Although, you can literally I say, had to call. Can I just uh, say that this was, this was a genuine shock to me. I would not have pegged Don Jr. as more reasonable than Donald Trump. Oh, he's the biggest actor of them all. I mean, if you read Mary Trump's account of that family, you know, Donald Trump slagged him for even thinking about joining the military because he thought the military were losers. You know, the relationship between the two people who are named Donald Trump, that's a whole there needs to be a psychiatrist on this panel to sort of make that whole thing make sense, because there's a lot going on there. But even he comes out and is telling, you know, Mark Meadows, not his own father, but telling Mark Meadows Make it stop. You know, he's saying that he has to get out here and show leadership. He's got to show leadership. Um, But let's show Don Jr. on Fox News um, with Mark Meadows. And this is before the rally. Here he was dancing around. Let's show him. Mark Meadows, an actual fighter. One of the few. A real fighter. Thank you, Mark. Kimberly. One of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. 
It's sad, 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 sad. We'll see if he addresses it. Really quick, let me just make a quick turn, Ellie, and ask you a legal question. So uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that Trump has lost his bid to shield his tax return. That's another thing. The kids are going to be mad. They may not get anything. <laughs> he may have to give it all to the tax man. He may not be able to leave them anything. So they'll have been doing all this pretending for nothing. Your thoughts on whether the tax returns could be uh, another shield dropping for the orange guy? That was a Trump-loving judge, by the way, who made that decision, a, a person who has, who has made pro-Trump decisions uh, before. And even <laughs> that just shows that the entire tax return shielding argument was always bollocks to begin with. But again, let's remember, Trump Trump got away with shielding his tax returns throughout an entire election cycle. And so at some level, he's already gotten the benefit of shielding his taxes, but it can't go on forever as the thought eventually, you know, as the man says, gravity always wins. Yeah. And I will just note just for our audience, we didn't get to it, but uh, Washington, D.C. has now sued the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers over the attack on the Capitol. We'll get into more of that. We're going to be following this story. Y'all. You know, we, we keep up with this stuff. Ellie Mastal, Michelle Goldberg, thank you both very much, my thank friends. You. Appreciate you. Coming up, hunger strikes by voting rights activists like our next guest are just some examples of how seriously activists are taking this latest threat to our democracy. And we continue to keep an eye on the House floor where we expect any moment a vote on criminal contempt charges. For Mark Meadows, stay with us. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Okay, we have some breaking news tonight. The Senate has passed a bill to raise the debt limit by $2.5 trillion to prevent the U.S. economy from going into the tank. Democratic senators, with zero Republicans helping out, approved the measure by a 50 to 49 vote. The bill now heads to the House. Yet a path forward on voting rights remains unclear. Today we heard from Senator Raphael Warnock, who renewed his push to pass voting rights legislation in a speech on the Senate floor. Some of my Democratic colleagues are saying, but what about, what about bipartisanship? Isn't that important? I say, of course it is. But here's the thing we must remember. Slavery was bipartisan. Jim Crow segregation was bipartisan. The refusal of women's suffrage was bipartisan. The denial of the basic dignity of members of the LGBTQ community has long been bipartisan. So when colleagues in this chamber talk to me about bipartisanship, which I believe in, I just have to ask at whose expense. This fight is at a crisis point. And while the focus is often on the mansion and cinema games, what is lesser known and lesser seen is the nonstop on the ground protests that are escalating 
over voting rights and economic justice. It's a fight that has taken on extreme measures. Joe Madison, the legendary host of Joe Madison, the Black Eagle on SiriusXM, has been on a hunger strike since November 8th. That is 37 days. And he isn't the only one. Joining me now is voting rights activist Joe Madison and Georgia Linden, a student at the University of Arizona who's also on a hunger strike for voting rights. Thank you both for being here, Joe. I first have to ask you, how are you doing? There are good days. Uh, there are bad days. Uh, today wasn't necessarily one of the best uh, physically, so I, I took time to, to rest so that I could, could be here with you. Um, but um, I'm, I'm going to do what has to be done, and I can't tell you how proud I am and to see the commitment, particularly from the young people from Arizona and even West Virginia, you know, they remind me very much of when John Lewis was very young and, and did sit-ins and, and demonstrations, and they are just a continuation. This is important, but my spirit joy being lifted because um, I've, senators are telling me to keep it up, hit the streets, virtual, text, call, uh, there appears to be, uh, well, I, they are, senators like Warnock and others are committed to, to getting this done by the end of the, uh, of the uh, year. So that's a, but we, it's up to us now. That's really yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah. Well, rather than telling you to keep it up, maybe what they could do is pass the bill. Uh, here's, um, Here's Senator Warnock. He gave an exclusive interview to NBC News, and this is what he said, because they changed the rules when they needed to in order. I mean, they saved the economy by changing the rules, but they changed the rules when they needed to. Sure didn't take them long, and Manchin went along with it. Yeah. 50 yeah. of them, and all 50 of them, including Manchin and Cinema, voted for it. So here's, here's uh, Senator Warnock earlier today. All right. We think it's so important that we change the rule in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Um in order to save the economy. Well, the warning lights on our democracy are blinking right now. And we seem unwilling to respond with the same urgency to protect the democracy that we have to protect the economy. Um, Georgia Linden, I have to ask you also how you're doing. This is your ninth day on a hunger strike. Um, you are not 72, as my friend Joe Madison is, but you are still a human being who needs sustenance and food, you know, who needs sustenance to live. So how are you doing? Uh, I won't lie to you. It's very difficult. The hunger comes in waves, but um, as Mr. Madison knows, um, this is an urgent issue, so it requires um, urgent action. But you're in Arizona. Has, has your senator, Kirsten Cinema, who is in the way of getting voting rights done. Has she reached out to you and your colleagues? My colleagues and I met with Senator Sinema uh, earlier last week. Um, she reiterated her support for this act, however, stood strong and um, not carving out rules of the filibuster to push this act forward. What did she say she's going to do instead? She said she would support it if it came up to vote again, but she's not willing to go out of her way to make that happen. In other words, she, she, I mean, this is the problem, Joe, is that you, it requires the people who have power to give a damn. And it's clear that that lady does not give a damn about voting rights, because if she did, she'd do what she did when she voted to change the rules to pass the debt ceiling. 
right? Yeah. And so my challenge, right. I, look, my question to you is the same. What have senators actually said to you they're going to do? Because if they don't care enough to save the lives of people who are clearly on the side of democracy, I don't know what else to tell them. Well, what, what I've been told is, is what we should do. Uh, maybe she didn't uh, comes across now as not giving a damn, but maybe she gives a damn about her job. Because quite candidly, and my message would be to Senator Sinema, you're going to lose. And this is what the people of Arizona are telling you. You will lose. You will not be back in the in the Senate. And there are senators who understand that uh, at this point in time, yes, they have the, the, the power to uh, carve out the the uh, uh, filibuster. And many of them are now approaching that. They're now talking about it. That's what I'm hearing from the senators. We're talking about it. We are trying to figure it out. And I know, Joy, because uh, you and I have known each other a long time, and I can see in your face the, the skepticism. But this is when people must speak up. This is when we must pray. So what I've been told is everybody use whatever resource you have and contact these senators and tell them to do it so that people know. Uh, Eric Holder was on my show today and, and he said, look, they have carved out the, the filibuster. More, what did he say? Uh, uh, they, like they carve a turkey. They've done yes. it a hundred and a hundred and sixty times since 1969. And this, yep. you know, what your segment before you just did, let me tell you what will happen if the House loses. Let me tell you what's going to You know what's going to happen. This country mm -hmm. will flip. And, yep. and so it's now up to, this yep. is up to us. And that's what I've been told. And I, I believe that they, they need to hear from everybody that yeah, this indeed. is the cornerstone of democracy is the vote. It all starts with our vote. And I'm just going to let folks know there are lots of people who are protesting. Uh, you guys are doing what you're yes. doing, which is super brave. But Bishop Barber is out there. Black Ones Roundtable yes. have been out there. Everyone is out there. So please, uh, senators, do something, please. Uh, Joe turn, Madison, we gotta turn Georgia everybody Linden. Loose. Yes. Indeed. Well, you all, uh, I wish you well. I, I truly do and hope that Thank this you. works. Thank you very much. Um, tonight's you. absolute worst. Thank you. It's still ahead. But first, U.S. Senate candidate Charles Booker joins us to talk about the heartbreaking aftermath of those devastating tornadoes in his home state of Kentucky and several neighboring states. And the U.S. House will vote on criminal contempt charges against Mark Meadows at any moment. So stay with us. Eighty-eight people have lost their lives after a series of tornadoes hit six states over the weekend, leaving a massive trail of destruction. The largest of the storms traveled more than 200 miles in what may be one of the longest tornado paths in U.S. history, likely fueled by unseasonably warm air for December. Welcome to the terrifying reality of climate collapse, a.k.a. climate change. President Biden plans to visit Kentucky tomorrow to view the damage there. The state was hit particularly hard with 74 dead and more than 100 still missing and more than 18,000 left without power. Eight of those deaths were workers at a candle factory that was entirely leveled. NBC News has a stunning report that those factory workers were threatened with firing if they left 
amid tornado warnings. For hours, as word of the coming storm spread, as many as 15 workers beseeched managers to let them take shelter at their own homes, only to have their request denied, the workers said. At least five workers said supervisors warned employees that they would be fired if they left their shifts early. Company officials denied the allegations. I'm joined now by NBC News correspondent Ellison Barber in Dawson Springs, Kentucky. What's the latest there, um, the latest there? Hey, Joy, this is a community that President Biden is expected to visit tomorrow. At least a dozen people have died in this community alone. A number are still unaccounted for. The woman who lived in this house that has now been reduced to a pile of rubble was trapped under all this debris underneath her mattress. She showed us the bruises up and down her arms, the puncture wounds where nails from falling debris literally went into our arm. If you look over here, you will see this gigantic truck. I asked her if this was her car and she told me she has no idea where it came from, but she crawled by this when she finally was able to make it out of this rubble. Survivors, they really don't know where to begin here because if you look around, everything is gone. This woman, she told me, I am 52 years old. I am a single mother and I've lost everything but I am alive. To give you a sense of where people go from here, this woman was here with the help of one of her son's friends looking for her purse because she needed her driver's license. She lost her car and she has no way to get a rental car because she has no ID, she has no money. And as she said, the bills don't stop even when you've gone Mm. through something as traumatic as this. Joy. My God, my God. Uh, Ellison Barber, thank you very much. Wow, thank you. With me now is former Kentucky State Representative Charles Booker, who is a candidate for the United States Senate. And Charles, my friend, it is good to see you. I have to first ask how your family, your community are doing. Joy, it's good to be with you again. Um, my family is holding up, uh, but we're all grieving. Um, the pain and the trauma is really hard to put words to. Uh, I'll cry tonight like I've had the past few nights. Um, we are seeing something that I could have never imagined. and. The hardest part is still before us as we try to piece together what the future looks like. Yeah, no, it's difficult. And so I have to ask you, let's start with these factory workers, because I feel like this is a story partly about this country just deciding to ignore climate collapse and just pretend like it isn't happening. And now we are here in the midst of it, the fires, the floods, the tornadoes, the, the, the weather that shouldn't be happening in December. It's here and we're living amidst it. And the people who are suffering the most are going to be the people you talk about a lot in your campaign, people who are low wage workers. This candle factory collapse is a huge tragedy. People who are told you will be fired if you don't come to work, even though there was a disaster coming. Your thoughts? Well, that's absolutely right. I think the collapse of this factory speaks to a lot of challenges that we have ignored as a society. We have exploited people. We have chosen to look away from the climate crisis. We have chosen to avoid the investments in our infrastructure. We have chosen profits of the people. And as a result, there were hardworking Kentuckians who were told that if they left to be safe, they could lose their jobs. They chose their job to take care of their family. And now some of our loved ones are gone. This is really a moment where we have to address our priorities. And I'm lifting this up in my campaign for Senate because I know that Kentucky deserves better. Our country deserves better. And honestly, Joy, I've called this the great exploitation. We have been taking hardworking people for granted for so long that we haven't had the chance to experience anything other than poverty for generations here. It has to change. And 
hopefully a painful moment like this can really jar our conscience so we can stand together and fight for that change. Yeah, it's, it's kind of odd to have one of those powerful politicians in the country be representing your state in terms of Mitch McConnell and still have that much poverty. Uh, and then the man you're running against, Rand Paul, who's now apparently for disaster funding. He's asked it to be expeditiously moved forward for his state. But when it came to Puerto Rico, his quote was, people are full of great compassion when it's someone else's money. He was opposed to disaster funding for people who were devastated by Hurricane uh, in Puerto Rico, but really just really took pretty nasty swipes at it. He's now said that that criticism is false and that he only cares that it's being paid for. Your thoughts? Well, you know, my focus has been on the people of Kentucky, my family, the folks that I love dearly. I'm running for them. But the fact of the matter is I am running against a fraud. Rand Paul is a liar. Rand Paul does not care about us. He doesn't care whether we live or die. He wants to hold on to a seat that he doesn't want to do anything with. And it's a joke to see that he is saying, OK, well, let me give one hundred thousand uh, dollars out of my campaign funds to help relieve for people that I've abandoned for too long. And my response is, well, it's good that special interest and lobbyist money will finally actually help the people of Kentucky for a change. Look, we are trying to build a brighter future in the midst of such incredibly hard times. And we need to get Rand Paul out of the way so we can do that work. And his objections to giving money to the people in Puerto Rico, he claims it's just about fiscal responsibility. What do you make of the fact that suddenly now he doesn't have, I mean, Kentucky needs the money. And by the way, we all want Kentucky to get the money. But the fact that he said no, 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 when it was every other state, particularly states full of you know black and brown folks, let's just be real, even though Kentucky has as well, that he now is like, but, but I want the money now. Your thoughts? Well, I think the challenging times really expose leadership, but they also expose hypocrites. And he has stood in the U.S. Senate and blocked relief for so many of our loved ones across the country over the years, including the 9-11 first responders. When a crisis hits, yeah. Rand Paul is nowhere to be found. And so now in this moment where he feels the heat because yeah. the people of Kentucky are ready to remove him from his seat, he wants to show up. But it's too late. Yeah. Well, I wish you well, wishing you well for your family, your community, and obviously the entire state of Kentucky. And we are so sorry for what happened. And God bless all of you. Thank you, Charles Booker. Appreciate you being here. And tonight's absolute worst is straight ahead. It is heartbreaking and enraging. Oh, my God. You do not want to miss it. America is in the midst of a second Gilded Age as millions of Americans struggle to get by while the ultra-rich get richer on the heels of a pandemic that's only exacerbated our country's already radical wealth inequality. Just look at this weekend. When teachers in South Dakota were invited to a Dash for Cash event at a hockey game sponsored by a local mortgage company, as is so often the case, it was billed as something heartwarming to do something awesome for teachers. But what exactly is heartwarming? About 10 underpaid teachers, people given the responsibility of taking care of other people's most precious resource, their children, during a pandemic, no less. Crawling around on an icy floor, stuffing dollar bills into their shirts for a few hundred bucks for classroom supplies, while spectators cheer them on. That's not heartwarming. It's a dystopian nightmare. Squid Games, American style, or The Hunger Games. According to the National Education Association, South Dakota is ranked second to last in the nation in teacher salary. And teachers across the country have long been shelling out their own money to pay for school supplies, which they should not have to do. 
Meanwhile, also filed under what does this say about our country? This week, Time magazine named world's richest man Elon Musk as person of the year. The same Elon Musk who says Democrats should can President Biden's Build Back Better bill, which would help women and children and families, while calling for an end to all government subsidies, even though he built his empire with government subsidies. Meanwhile, his competitor in the billionaire space race, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, celebrated another launch of his space tourism for high rollers rocket and only later acknowledged the six Amazon workers killed in the collapse of one of his company's warehouses during Friday's devastating tornadoes. It goes without saying, instead of spending billions on becoming rocket men, they could pay their share in income taxes, since ProPublica found that they've paid virtually nothing. But even the faux right-wing populists who claim to care about the little guy are just in it for the grift. Like Christian Walker, son of Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel and... um, Oh, yes, a professional, professional influencer complaining about gas prices. Y'all said Joe Biden was going to be the great unifier. This is divisive to my bank account and my hard earned money. Well, that man of the people was wearing a thirteen hundred dollar sweatshirt for that screed. And he later said that people dragging him were just jealous and lazy poors. But what do you expect from a supporter of the literal gold tower dwelling former president who continues to grift his supporters, collecting a billion dollars for a social media company that does nothing? But like the robber barons of the first Gilded Age, some of today's ultra rich think that they can just throw cash at the problem through charity. Jeff Bezos spends billions on his 10 minute space tours. But in June, he announced a two hundred million dollar donation to today. Trump became president. Chatter Man Jones and the wonderful Jose Andres for the charities of their choice. When he could have just not spent billions to do what NASA already did in the 1960s. And that is why that video of South Dakota teachers is so well disgusting. Charity stunts that purport to do something good just mask the reality of our societal failures. Instead of reveling in a gladiator-style scramble for cash for classroom supplies, and the organizers for the hockey team and sponsor have since apologized, the haves could just pay their fair share. And then we could properly fund public education and pay teachers a living wage. If teachers had appropriate paid leave or our healthcare system wasn't obscenely unaffordable, we wouldn't get good news stories about teachers donating sick days for their cancer-stricken colleagues. There's nothing inspiring about citizens forced to go fund me their way into a social safety net. And we need to recognize this poverty porn for what it is. Because American inequality and our consistent refusal to address our broken system is the absolute worst. And that's tonight's readout. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.